Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Very excited for my conversation today with Kyle, who is the co-founder of Wildway. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Appreciate it. So for those who don't know, I'd love for you to just give like a quick 10-second overview of like what your products are and, and why. Yeah, so we have, we've got a few different product lines. We do a grain-free style granola. So it's a nut and seed and dried fruit-based granola. Uh, no oats or grains or anything. We do a, a grain-free hot cereal. So it's a, again, it's a nut and seed-based hot cereal. Uh, so similar to an oatmeal, but, but leans into kind of higher fat, a keto sphere rather than a grain-based hot cereal, um, and then we do some nut and seed some nut and seed snacks as well. So we just launched a coconut chip uh, line, a roasted coconut chip uh, line, three different flavors, uh, moving towards kind of nut and seed snacking. So that is that's the crux of what of what we do. That's awesome, man. And I know uh, we kind of talk through we can talk through some skew growth later because I think there's some interesting things there, especially with how you're you're built, but. What I really love to get into is um, the topic of how do you build a sustainable business? So you guys are about 10 years in and you bootstrap the entire way, which I know is definitely comes with some challenges of doing so. And then not only that, but you also self-manufacture in San Antonio where you're based, right? Yes, correct. And so I think um, I'd love to kind of get into like what that decision looked like at the beginning um, and how that's affected your business now, because as we know, a lot of companies right now are going through uh, existing companies are going through financing crunches with fundraising drying up. And then new companies who are getting started are trying to figure out, do I bootstrap my company or do I still try to like scrape together some money from investors to get it going and understand like, what will that path look for me five, 10 years into the future? So we'll love to get into, into all that to, to help other listeners. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a labor of love uh, bootstrapping the company. Um, a lot of, cha- I mean, a lot of challenges early on um, just the distribution and growth um, especially running our own manufacturing facility. So, you know, from the manufacturing side, a lot of it was just really being mindful about how we grew and and when to kind of pull the trigger um, to help us grow to the kind of next step. And, and you know, we started off, you know, one employee, right? One employee, you know, I myself on the production line, right? Helping out one little piece of equipment, you know, semi-automated piece of equipment. And, and we just ran that thing into the ground until it was absolutely necessary to buy something else. And then we bought our second piece of equipment and then our third. Um, so it definitely wasn't, didn't come together all at once, right? It, it was determining what is the, what is the biggest bottleneck right now? Is it mixing? Do we need to get a bigger mixer? Is it sealing the bags? Do we need to get an automatic bag sealer? Is it filling the bags? Do we need to get an automatic bag filler? So it was, Finding those individual bottlenecks um, one at a time, right? And fixing one problem at a time. Um, I think that's definitely some a, a way that we had to approach it differently. Um, not getting funded and just being bootstrapped is 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 knowing that we're not going to be able to fix every problem at once or every solution at once, on, especially on the manufacturing side. And so just tackle tackle one thing at a time, um, right? Let's what's what's one thing that's causing our our margin to be less than it should be, right? And let's fix that one thing. What one ingredient is driving our cogs through the roof, right? Is it packaging? Or is it one particular thing that we can find a cheaper way to source? Um, and so a lot of those problems we're just tackling one at a time, 
slowly over the years. Um, that's, that's definitely something that was, that was a big challenge early on, uh, was tackling a lot of that for sure. Now, when you got started, was it a choice to just bootstrap and run them on your own? Or did you want to take on investors, but, um, didn't decide ultimately not to go down that path? Yeah, no, we definitely tried uh, to take on investors. It definitely was a process that, that we attempted to do for gosh, probably well over a year's time. Um, and just ran into a lot of roadblocks with it. Uh, a lot of it was not talking to the right people, I think, and and a lot of the process, at least for myself, it wasn't it wasn't really an authentic process to me. It didn't feel right to me. Um, you know, dealing with I don't know a lot of people that didn't understand our category or our product, um, and it was just an uphill battle. And 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 again, it, it it got to the point where I was spending more time way more time, significantly more time going out and trying to fundraise than I was actually working on the business and growing the business. And so it got to a point in time when I realized like, hey, something has to give here. And then either we either need to, to, to go all in on, on this raising money or I've got need we need to go focus on the business and actually growing the business and, and taking the business to the next level. And and so uh, we decided to stop the fundraising process and 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 not go through that process and focus on on growing the business. And and that led to that led to just running the business in a different way, right? And and we had to focus a lot more on manufacturing efficiencies, a lot more on margin, um, having good margin, having profitable products. Um, and it changed who we sell products too, right? And we, we couldn't just say yes to everybody across the board, uh, right? And, you know, we had to say no to the big accounts that required free fills. We had to say no to a lot of the big accounts that required slotting. So it was a very different um a very different growth strategy for us because we had to really pick and choose our retailers um, because we couldn't afford to go out and just pay for shelf space. Um, we we had to we had to earn it. We had to succeed on shelf um, because we didn't have the financial resources to go pay for shelf space and then get taken off that shelf um, within the next year. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely leads to a lot of you know very important decision making along the way, right? Because you have to grow in a way that's getting closer to profitability. I'm curious, how long did it take you guys to get to a point where you were, let's call it break even with the business? Yeah, I would say probably, probably not until we hit close to a million sales. I was pro- probably, um, is when we started to, to see some return. Um, some, how some many kind years of was that? Some sort of property. Um, that was, I would say a third or fourth year in is, is when that eventually happened. So um, so it was a while. I mean, that was, that was three or four years of not paying ourselves, right? Three or four years of, um, I mean, you have to do everything. I mean, those, that, that decision to not raise money, uh, not raise any capital, um, you know, means that you have to, you can't go hire someone to do all your Amazon stuff for you, right? You got to learn how to do it yourself, right? You can't hire someone to go out and do demos for you. You got to be in the store yourself. You can't hire someone to go do sales. You can't hire someone, you, can, you can't hire someone to do all of these things that you wish you could hire someone to do. Um, so you have to learn how to do all those things early on. And, and it's a lot of work. It really is a lot of work. It's not for the fan of heart, but looking back, right. There's learning how to do all those things early on has just been incredibly valuable, invaluable to us, you know, as we've grown, um, you know, we have some resources to hire some of those things out and some we can hire some things out internally, um, and hire people internally to do those, but, but just having you, you know, having the ability to, and to, and the need really to learn all those different pieces of the business, I think is incredibly invaluable. Um, and something that a lot of people don't, don't get to do or, or don't take the time to do um, because they hire a lot of those out early on. But when you don't have the capital to do that, 
uh, you really don't have a choice. You got to get your hands dirty. Um, and it was a lot of years of getting hands dirty and learning a lot of things. Kyle, that sounds like hard work. Why would anyone want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a lot of hard work. Um, it's a lot of hard work, but, uh, but you know, it's your baby, right? It's our baby. It's, 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 you know, I feel very strong about what we're doing and, and providing better food, um, to people and, and, and healthier options. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is a lot of work and it's exhausting. It's tiring, but I think if you believe in what you're doing, um, then, then a lot of times it doesn't seem like work because you're growing something and doing something that you believe in. Um, another reason why I became an entrepreneur was for the, the freedom, right? Not necessarily financial freedom. Um, if you're looking for financial freedom, don't get into the food business, but, uh, but more freedom as far as time, right? Um, and to do kind of what you want, when you want, where you want. And so, um, that was a big part of it for me is just, is, is that freedom. Um, and so being able to kind of build a business like we've built it, um, allows for a lot of that freedom and a lot of flexibility that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So I think it's important of, of really understanding your why getting into it and your like personal why, right? So a lot of times people will talk about the why for your business, your business, the vision and mission, and all those things are important. Um, but the core you need to understand, right? Like why you personally are getting into the business so that you can maintain it. Cause that's, what's going to keep you going. So many yeah, founders absolutely. who I meet are like, you know, they'll get, they'll say like, okay, I don't want, like, I want to be my own boss. I don't want to have a work for someone else anymore. And then they go out and raise money from investors and investors become owners and they essentially become their boss. Right. And they, yeah. they control that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely something to think through as well, right? Yeah, if you if you, if you're somebody that wants to kind of be your own boss and work in your own time and make your own decisions, I mean, there's there's other things that come with raising money um, that that you know some there's you could potentially end up not being your own boss, right? You raise money from somebody and you have someone that you have to answer to, um, you have somebody that has a, a stake in your business, that has a say in your business, and and um, yeah, you can very. I mean, I've seen again, I've seen entrepreneurs you know, essentially almost become employees in their own business um, from raising money. Uh, and it's definitely a, a, becomes a different situation for them. And a reality kind of hits for them of, of like, oh, my goodness. OK, um, you know, it's it's they wanted the money they wanted to grow. And at the same time, there's there's consequences to that um, as well. So it's 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 different. Right. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that I tell entrepreneurs is is is, is just is really kind of take a step back and just look at look at the kind of business you want to run. that's going to make you happy. Right. Um, and if it's going to make you happy to go out and raise a bunch of money and, and be an employer in your own business and grow really big and hire people to do a bunch of other things, if that's, if that's what's going to make you happy, then by all means, you know, take that path. Right. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to grow and a lot of different paths to grow. Um, so considering all of those considering and really sit back and sit with yourself and consider well, what's the path that's going to make me the happiest, right? And, and and you might surprise yourself. Absolutely love that. And I think that's a really great mindset to go into. And you know, I always always tell people I think it's the Franklin Covey quote of beginning with the end in mind. Uh, yeah. So you understand where you want to go so you can plan that journey to get there. If you just kind of let the wave take you, you might end up in the place that you actually don't want to be in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So two things I want to get into first being um lessons learned from self-manufacturing. I know there's a lot there, but if you could kind of sum up the top lessons that you learned or watch out for other brands, what would those be? Um, lessons learned from self-manufacturing. Um, I would say the biggest one I think for us is to don't make it more complicated than it needs to be, right? There's there's so many different 
part areas of the business where you can easily get sucked into making something way more complicated than it needs to be. Um, for example, we use one case size for all of our different SKUs. Same case size, same case size, different, you know, one comes six to a case, one comes four to a case, one comes eight to a case, but it's the same case size for all. It makes things so much easier, right? We're sourcing one case size, one box, one, you know, one, one paying for one die that goes in the box, buying all the same boxes, right? So we can buy boxes for all of our different SKUs and really get volume there. And so it's, it's same palette configuration, like the whole deal, right? We kept it super simple. Um, all, all, all of our granolas have like the same base of like five or six ingredients, plus like maybe a, an additional different dried fruit or spices or things. But keeping the same base for all the different ingredients allows us to get, you know, volume of certain ingredients because we're using them for all of our SKUs and certain things like that. And and so I see people all the time that they'll have you know, completely different formulations for all of their different SKUs based on the flavor. And so they're buying ingredients and quantities all over the place, right? They're not really able to achieve volume until much, much later on in, in their in their company life cycle because of it and and so i think that that's something that helped us achieve volume early on um it's like hey this i'm buying walnuts and walnuts are in every single skew of my granola and they're all on all my hot cereals as well that so helped us get a lot of volume using a lot of the same ingredients and keeping the formulas simple right um, i just say just to go on that point right with t-squares we had one product they're essentially energy bars or energy bites and we had three flavors and across all three, I think we had 15 different ingredients. I think maybe eight of them were based and then a couple of them varied based on the flavor. And it just made it so complicated. And we were also dealing with like seven or eight suppliers for each of those ingredients and having to like negotiate with each one and individual shipping. Like it was a huge pain. So definitely understand that. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, you know, and it can be easy. For, I, I, I see a lot of people that get easily kind of sucked into the, well, I have to have something that's differentiable. I have to have flavors that are unique or a formulation that's super unique. And all that uniqueness really does for them is just make things really complicated, especially early on in the manufacturing process. And and so, you know, if you're really early on, especially if you're bootstrapping or trying to be really, really lean, figuring out ways in which you can just simplify things across the board um, has been a huge help to us, a huge money saver, a huge time saver. And any time that we've gone out and tried to, you know, complicate things or make things more complicated, it it just it just adds difficulty, and we end up reverting back to like, okay, keeping it keeping it simple at the beginning is is the way to go. I love that. Yeah. What else do you have on the manufacturing side? Um, again, I mean, I would just say, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, wait as long as possible before you need to make that other that next purchase, right? The next commitment, right? It's it's. It's always going to be a risk to buy something, but you know, you know, we've we've run equipment for 24 hours before in a day before we decided, okay, you know, there's not there's literally not another hour in the day we need to get another you know piece of machinery to do this, right? Um, that's you know, and where that, are you sourcing your machinery from? Because I know a lot of people ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it's sourced from overseas. To be yeah. honest, a lot of it comes from China. Um, so we work directly with manufacturers over there. Um, and you know, to be honest, there's a lot of machine companies in the United States that will say machinery that they're sourcing from the same suppliers, right? And they're promising you parts and service, and and they're also giving you a 30x markup on the on the piece of equipment, right? And so that's helped us save a lot of money um, working direct with manufacturers overseas, um, embedding direct manufacturers overseas, and some of that come, came from connections that we had in the industry, just knowing other people, networking. You know, hey, you know, where do you get your equipment? Do you like it? Oh, I got it from this person. Really like it. Had it for eight years. Never had a problem. They connect us to a manufacturer overseas. We start working with them. So a lot of it's 
you know, networking, getting to know people in the industry and, and, and finding out, you know, Hey, who do you use, who do you use and where do you get your machinery from? And, and talking to a lot of that, because you can save a lot. I mean, we've saved probably six figures or more uh, on machinery by sourcing it direct from manufacturers rather than kind of going through a middleman or, or a U.S. sales company that's just sourcing and manufacturing it overseas. And, and so that's helped a lot. So. so equipment purchases and kind of growing your own team, I know it gets really expensive. How have you um, kind of financed the business over time from like the early days to, um, to kind of now when you have more options? Yeah, I mean, the early days, it was it was all self-funded, right? It was self-funded. Um, we had a little bit of family that, that, that wanted on the business as well. And so that did help a little bit. Um, you know, but early days, early days in the business and, and with as little money as that is, I tell people it's like rain in the desert, right? It's, it's money that just evaporates early on. Um, you know, and so a lot, but a lot of it was self-funded. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I remember early on, you know, probably the most humbling experience I've ever had is, is running to, to, to my bank on a, on a Thursday evening before it closed and pulling out in cash, like the last dollars I had in my, like the last dollars I had in my bank account, like it read 0.00 and then going and depositing that and then running across the street with cash and going and depositing that in our business bank account. So that none of our employees checks would bounce on Friday when, when they got paid, Um, you know, and those, I mean, so when I tell people, Hey, you want to bootstrap a food business, like you have to have a stomach for things like that. Right. Um, You know, if, if you aren't inherently wealthy or have somebody that's backing you, um, you have to have a stomach for things like that. Right. And then, and then it just became crossing my fingers that, you know, you know, if I paid us on time the next week or something, <laughs> um, you know, so that we could put some money back in the bank, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it gets crazy. Right. And, and, and you just have to operate very, very lean. Um, and a lot of it's doing things again, again, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of it's doing a lot of things yourself, right. Can't afford to hire, sales and marketing and all these other functions that would be super nice to have so you got to take a lot take all of it on yourself um and it just becomes a lot of work um and 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 so a lot of that just hiring out just gets replaced with a lot of learning a lot of hard work and, and long hours yeah yeah so then as you guys have gotten larger and had some profitable years i know you're also able to get some debt financing now right yeah, yeah. So now we're debt funded. Um, we had a few years of profitability, um, and we work with we work with a local bank, because local here to Texas um, and in San Antonio. Um, and that's the way I would go um, if you're looking for debt funding. I said to most companies, like, don't go after a big bank, like a you know that's a that's a national bank that's that's not going to really get to know you and understand you and your business. Um, find a local bank or a local credit union that's really going to understand you, want to understand your business. You know, our bankers have come to our plan. I think they maybe even have bagged granola maybe a day or two here, right? Um, so they really get to know us and kind of get to dig down in, in, in the heart of our business and what we do. And 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 it's a partnership, just like anything else, right? Build, building those relationships um, with bankers is a partnership. And I would suggest that, you know, m- one, some of my advice to people would be to build those relationships early on before you need them, right? You know, go to, go to a local bank, go to a, you know, go to a local credit union, whatever it may be, and, and say, hey, you know, we may be too small now, don't have a lot of revenue, might not be profitable now, but I would just like to establish a relationship with you. So, you know, maybe they can help, maybe they can be the bank that rents your payroll, maybe they can be the bank that just holds your checking account, whatever it may be, you know, establish a relationship with the bank early on. Um, you know, and periodically keep them updated on your progress, right? Hey, here's how our growth is going. You know, we might be, you know, a good candidate for you guys in a year or two here, you know, and just keep them updated, right? So when that time comes, 
that you need that funding, then it becomes a no-brainer for the bank. Like they know they've known you for a year or two, they've seen your growth, um, they know you started out small, started out unprofitable. So the minute you kind of grow and hit that profitability, they can say, Hey, cool, you know, we'll we'll step in and fund you. And so we're debt funded now, but those relationships started early on. Yeah. Great advice, man. I love that. And so 10 years being in the business, 10 years now, what does the next five or 10 years look like for you? And and I think one from the business side, but then even personally, where um, what are you excited about for next? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the business, we've grown a lot over the past 10 years. And so I think we're, as a business, we're kind of in an inflection point now to where, you know, we've got to make some decisions about you know, the things that have grown our business over the past 10 years. Are those going to be the same things that grow our business over the next 10 Right. You know, we've we've really put a hard foot in our ground over the past 10 years in kind of the grain free space and the grain free breakfast space. Um, but knowing that all kind of food trends come and go and certain things hit their peak and not right. Knowing is that going to be the thing that really takes us to the next 10 years or are we, are we going to have to make some decisions, you know, as far as product portfolio goes and 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 how we we design our products and sell our products that are going to have to change over the next 10 years. And so it's exciting, right? It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, you get a little fearful doing that as well. Um, and it's a little nerve wracking, but, but it's also exciting to kind of try to sit back and understand, okay, you know, businesses change and, and the environment changes and COVID changed a lot in this environment as well, as far as the sales cycle and retailers and, and the whole board. So I think right now we're kind of in a period of just taking, sitting back and going, okay, like what things do we need to change in the business to be able to say that, you know, to be able to, to, to 10 years from now, be able to say, hey, we hit our 20 year anniversary, right? We hit a 30 year anniversary, right? What things need to change for us and then what things need to um, need to improve for, for us to kind of get to the next 10. And so that's something that we're constantly working through and thinking through. I don't know that we have the answer to that yet, um, but hopefully we will soon and, and we'll kind of keep moving forward and see how it works out. <laughs> well, the thing of good news too, is you have a great brand with Wild Way and it's not like grain-free wild way or something yeah. where the yeah. trend yeah. built into the name because I know a yeah. lot of brands have trouble yeah. with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other, and the other good side of that is, right, is, is, is the other benefit I believe in being self-funded, right, is that we could make that decision upon what's next for the business and what direction we go, right? Whereas there's a lot of businesses that, that don't have, you know, that, that are funded that can't make those decisions for themselves, right? They have investors and private equity funds and, and different um, entities that, that, have a say in those decisions and want to see the business go in certain directions. And so some people don't have a choice. And so I think we're lucky and grateful that we have a choice. You can sit back and say, Hey, I, I own all this business. So let me sit back and, and I can make the choice for myself as far as what I want to do and what the business wants to do and what's, what's authentic, authentic to us and the direction that I want to take things. So, yeah, that's awesome. Kyle, I've been a huge fan of yours and wild ways since we met. So definitely wishing you the best over the next couple of years, excited to follow the journey um, and to help in any way that I can, because I think what you're doing is amazing and want to be there to support you. Cool. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. appreciate you having me on and, and appreciate the time as well. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely.